1: Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, I have to begin in a way that will shock you if you've been following me recently, Uh, but I have to begin by telling you about my book, The Unholy Trinity, Blocking the Left's Assault on Life, Marriage, and Gender, in stores and on Amazon now, so go get it. Okay, moving on. Uh, I, I hadn't planned on discussing this topic again this week, but I've gotten so many emails about it that I, I well, I, I, I can't help myself. I just can't help myself. And it's an interesting topic and an important one anyway. And plus, this is my podcast and I can talk about what I want. So stop judging me, all right? I don't have to justify myself to you. Stop with your judging, you big judgers. Now, I wrote uh, earlier this week about public schools, Particularly uh, targeting the conversation, focusing discussion on Christian parents. And I was saying essentially that as Christian parents, we need to really begin exploring other options besides public school, if possible. And by the way, I'm really talking about, or mostly talking to, and I think this is an important point when we talk about, you know, what are we going to, how are we going to handle the. You know, education. And are we going to send our kids to public school? I think th- that for me, this this conversation is really focused mostly on Christian parents my age or around my age. That is, those with kids who haven't started school, or have just started, or even uh, people that don't have kids yet, aren't even married yet, and but are looking into the future. Um, I think if your kids have already been in public school for nine years or 10 years and they're in high school now, maybe the calculation is different at this point. Look, if your kid's a sophomore or junior in high school, I think at that point to with take them out and homeschool them or put them in a private school at that point, I I don't think, think there is probably much of a point to it. Um, and there could be exceptions to that rule, but I think if your kids have already been in the system for that long, well, then it makes sense maybe to just, to just finish it out. But um, those of us who are just beginning this journey with our kids, given the state of things, well, and what prompted the conversation earlier this week, if you didn't read the piece, was uh, someone had sent me a, a link to the a middle school newspaper that her, her middle school son had brought home uh, the newspaper, you know, these schools all have their own newspapers, and there was an art, an article in the newspaper explaining all of the wonders and intricacies of all these different, of all the different gender types. Not all of them, because as we know, there are fifty-two or hundred and fifty-two, but outlining just a few of them, including a gender type called gender flux, flux, and gender flux is where somebody is partially one gender, partially another. Partially another, partially another, partially a penguin, uh, partially a beanbag chair. And but that's and and, and did you know, this, this is an interesting point. Somebody can be a gender. Now a gender, all one word, agender. Agender is when you don't have a gender. You are genderless. That's another way of saying it. You can be a gender and gender flux. So what that means is that you are partially no gender, but partially you are a gender. So you're partially a gender, partially a gender. Do you see what I'm saying? Does this make sense to you? This makes sense, doesn't it? This is what our kids are learning in school. And this is what the kids are learning now. Fast forward 10 years, how bad is it going to be? And so those of us who are in the situation my wife and I are in, well, we've got kids that are three or four years old, haven't started school yet. We're thinking, how could we be, put our kids in the system now to start where our kids are just starting at this point. It's one thing, if your, like I said, your kids have been in the, the system for eight or nine years and now it's gotten to this point and now you're thinking, well, let's just finish this thing up and get them the heck out of there. But for us, our kids haven't even gotten in yet. So how could we put them in the system now thinking what's it going to be like in 10 or 12 years? So that's why we really, the people, especially in, in my situation, and my wife's situation, need to really evaluate if we want our kids to be in this system for the next decade, decade and a half, or whatever. Of course, I got a lot of email about it. Uh, A good portion of the emails were hurt and offended, accusing me of insulting parents who send their kids to public school and so forth. I did no such thing. My parents sent us to public school, and my parents are great. Uh, I never have anything but great things to say about my parents, as anyone knows who has uh, read, read any of my stuff. This is not an insult to anyone. I am and and have always been very understanding of parents, very slow to judge parents or call them bad and all that kind of stuff. I've always been, like I said, understanding and I've given kind of a wide berth to parents to sort of parent in their own way and figure out what works for their kids and to not try to pounce on them and impose my own idea of parenting because even before I had kids I understood that raising kids is such a difficult and confusing thing and you can't put people in boxes and say this is the right strategy for everyone there are obviously strategies that don't work and that we can say well that's not a good strategy a strategy where for instance you're not disciplining your kid at all or even attempting that's a bad strategy we can say for sure that's bad um a strategy where your discipline comes in the form of brutal abu- physical and verbal abuse we can say that's also a bad s- strategy and criminal and you're a horrible person if you're doing that and you should go to jail but uh but in between those extremes there's a lot of room where people can kind of figure th- things out and i still feel that way even more so now that i have kids but there are some general principles or general things that we can observe. And I think one of those general things is that the public school system is toxic and we need to start thinking about what we're going to do about that or what we're going to do in response to it. Now of all the responses that I got to my piece, there was one theme that came up over and over again. And I want to focus on that today. Uh, I've heard this argument a million times, of course, and I've responded to it before, but I'm going to respond to it again. And the argument goes like this. Well, we need to send our kids to public school so that they can be socialized. The schools are there in part to socialize our kids. And if you don't send your kids to public school, they won't learn how to be sociable people or how to get along and and relate to other kids. That's the argument. Now, whether you send your kids to public school or you homeschool or you unschool or you send them off to the Alaskan wilderness to join a clan of moose or whatever you do. Let me just say this. The socialization the socialization argument is not good um, for public school. Whether you send your kids to public school or not. If you do, I mean, don't do it for this reason. Just this is not the reason that you should do it. And there's one analogy I've heard many times that maybe on a surface level seems like it makes sense. But I've heard this analogy many times to make the case for socializing through public school. And I actually think the analogy helps my case rather than the other case. And the analogy is that you can't teach your kid to swim without taking him to a pool, just like you can't teach him to socialize, and get along with others, without putting him in that environment where he can do it. Now, I agree that you can't teach a child to swim without bringing him to a pool. But here's the question. Do you bring a child to the pool, drop him there with a 1,000 other kids, then come back six hours later and repeat that process every day, five days a week for the next 12 or 13 years? Or do you bring him to the pool, hang out with him, maybe even get in the water, play some Marco Polo, and get something from the snack bar, and then leave with him after a couple of hours and bring him home with you? This somewhat depends on how old he is, but if you've got a kid that's seven or eight years old, which of those two options are you going to choose? I can tell you this. If you decide to just leave your kid at the pool for hours and hours on end every day for over a decade, he's probably not going to do a lot of swimming. And if he doesn't drown, which is a very real possibility, um, Especially if there's only one lifeguard for every forty kids, in this analogy, he'll he'll likely spend more time playing on his phone, uh, maybe smoking pot in the bathroom, than learning the backstroke. So when it comes to teaching your kid any skill, whether it's swimming or driving or riding a bike or catching a baseball, shooting a basketball, whatever it is, all parents understand that their hands-on involvement is crucial. It's only with the skill of socializing where many of us suddenly decide that, the, that, that, that we should outsource the entire thing. But it doesn't work that way. And you know I, I kind of wonder, why do I even need to debunk the socialization claim? Because we've all seen our society, haven't we? We've interacted with people. And homeschooling might be increasingly popular, but the vast majority of people that we meet out in life have been public schooled. And so are you really telling me that the vast majority of people we meet are socially well-adjusted? Are are socialized, as as we're told? Because that's how it should be, right? We're we're told you, you send your kids to public school so that they're socialized, well, most kids have gone to public school. Most people my age went to public school. So if public school is a, a good place for socialization, shouldn't most of us be pretty well socialized? When you look at my generation, shouldn't you be able to say, well, here's a pretty large sample size. Let's look to see if this strategy worked. And shouldn't you be able to say, well, wow, you know, for the most, there are exceptions, but for the most part, these are socially well-adjusted, uh, people. Shouldn't you be able to say that? This is what I keep calling back to, what I wrote in my piece, that we don't have to talk about this these issues theoretically or abstractly. We we have uh, real-world experience. We have data. We have hard data that we can look at. We have at least two, well, three generations, right? at, at least three generations of Americans who were uh, funneled mostly through the public school system. And we can look at them and we can say, and we can look at whatever the arguments are for public school and we can stack it up against the results and say, well, has it worked that way? And when it comes to the socialization thing, I just don't, I, I don't see it. Isn't this one of the main knocks on my generation is that we are, we have no idea how to interact with each other. Isn't that one of the primary beefs that people have with us? And it's well deserved because it's true. So you and I both know that this socialization thing is a lie. It hasn't it hasn't, it hasn't worked. And yeah, you could probably tell me about a homeschool kid you met once who was really weird and awkward and stuff like that. But uh, I could I could see that anecdote, and I could raise you uh severely. I I you know, I, I could raise you school shooters, the bullying epidemic that the so called bullying epidemic that we're told about that's happening in public schools, youth suicide rates, um a youth culture utterly dominated by clicks and fads and trends. Go to a college campus, any college campus, and tell me again how these public school ladies and gentlemen are such well adjusted adults now. Tell me about that. Go to the go to the college campus, um, to your average college campus, and then come back and tell me. Come back and tell me that these are socially well-adjusted adults. Tell me that. I mean, for God's sakes, they, they, they literally cannot socialize with each other without inhaling a barrel of urine-flavored light beer ahead of time. People our age can't socialize in person at all, actually. Sober or not. So we do it through our phones. And I'm not claiming that homeschoolers don't use smartphones or beer bongs, but I am saying that an overwhelming preponderance of our society has been exclusively public schooled. And if public school helped to socialize us, you'd think we'd see some positive results somewhere. But we don't. So why do we still hear about this? It obviously hasn't worked. We can It'd be an interesting discussion to talk about why doesn't it work. But the fact that it doesn't is really obvious now. Socialization, and I tell you why it doesn't work. Because socialization in the public school context means that your child absorbs behavioral cues from her peers. She learns to socialize by aping her friends who are themselves copying other girls. So she learns to Repress the parts of her that don't fit in And put on an exterior designed to help her fade into the collective This is how the social process in public school works As everybody knows Everybody knows that public school is not a place where uh, Youth culture in general is not a place where Standing out and being an individual And uh, and uh, standing for your principles And developing your own identity is encouraged It's not now, these might be slogans and things that, that kids will say to each other, how they're their own person and, you know, they, they, they go their own way, whatever. Um, but that's not actually what happens. You, you, uh, you walk into any high school class, walk into a cafeteria at lunchtime, and you're going to find it's a very tribalistic envo- environment, a lot of clicks and 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 everybody, you know, kind of looks the same. They dress exactly the same way. And even if there, I'm talking about when there is no, even if there's no uniform or dress code, there's an an informal dress code that's enforced. And now with the way with you know living in the information age and with everyone connected to the internet. Um, at all hours of the day, these trends and fads spread so quickly and can change so dramatically, and it's kind of creepy that something becomes a trend or a fad, and like instantaneously, it has made its way to every kid, and every kid is following it, dressing according to it, whatever. So that is no see that that is not the kind of socialization that we should want our kids to learn that's not socialization at all that is simply conforming and not conforming in a good way because there's a good form of there's a good form of conforming there are certain things that we should conform to certain basic rules of etiquette and and uh, m- certain moral standards that we should conform ourselves to but, th- but that's not what the kids are conforming to. They're conforming simply to each other on a very superficial level. Now, the other thing is that the social environment in public school is very competitive. And, um, and also, I, I know that everything I'm saying here is largely true of private schools too. Maybe even more true, depending on what private school you're talking about. It's probably pretty rare to find a, public, a private school where this, is not, where this does not apply. Um, so it's also competitive your social status depends on your ability to cut your peers down so that you can easily step on them and elevate yourself expressing your ideas showing vulnerability communicating your thoughts your deepest thoughts and feelings these are all discouraged kids are tasked with expressing not their own thoughts but imitating the thoughts and views of the peer collective. and kids who can't keep up, who have no desire to keep up will will either have to be the most self-assured human beings on the planet, which is unlikely, or they'll become bitter self-conscious, depressed. This is once again I say again, this is not my theory. this is what actually is happening and has been happening for decades and we all know that right everything that, have I, am i saying anything here where you where you're saying to yourself well that's that's not the that's not the the youth culture i'm familiar with i'm i'm shocked to hear you say this right? what are you talking about conformity among kids in school what no peer pressure to to to, to fit in with fads that, that's not what's happening please tell me no one's listening to this and reacting that way please tell me that nobody is that oblivious um so I, I don't see anything really positive about this. Um, I don't see what a kid benefits from. And the psychological damage can be lasting, maybe even permanent in some cases. the the I, I mentioned the youth suicide rate, and we hear these tragic cases all the time about kids, Um, killing themselves and we hear that well they killed themselves because they were bullied and that's there's an element of truth to that maybe but it's extreme it's an extremely simplistic way of looking at it because the real question that nobody wants to ask or answer or think about is why why would a kid why would a 12 year old kid i mean, think about 11 or 12 year old kid Hanging himself or something horrible like that. Why would a kid kill himself because of bullying, because of teasing, of mean things that were said to him? Why would he do that? People have been saying, kids have been saying mean things to each other since uh, since Cain and Abel. And it seems rather recent that you have 11- and 12-year-old kids killing themselves over it. We hear our grandparents talk, and they'll say, well, that wasn't happening when we were kids. And I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I think that they're probably right that it really didn't happen. You just didn't. When our grandparents were kids in the uh, 30s, you didn't have 11-year-olds killing themselves over teasing, even though there was plenty of teasing that went on. And maybe in many cases, it was much, the, the teasing could have been much more ruthless. Certainly more physical. I think it was normal back in the day for uh, kids to get into fights and fist fights. And it didn't, it didn't have to turn into a, into a literal criminal matter like it does now. But now you, you hear about this. And why is that? And there's a reason why people don't like asking this question of why would kids... Even if, even if they're not killing themselves... They're so affected by it. You have kids that are so affected by the teasing that goes on. So affected that it can ruin their childhood. It, it ruin their life. They could wake up every day. Think about being a kid. Wake. And this is a situation a lot of kids are in. This is just a fact. A lot of kids are in a situation where they wake up every day and they dread going to school. They dread it every single day. For 12 years, they dread it. They hate going They're terrified This is not a rare circumstance Okay Even if uh, Hopefully They never resort to the To the the most extreme measures They Hate going And maybe they resort to other things You hear about kids Cutting themselves And that sort of thing Self-mutilation Again Did you hear about Did this stuff go on in the 1920s? No No so why now the reason why nobody asks wants to ask why is because it makes it sound like what we're saying is that these kids are wimps kids today are too soft they're they're softer than they were back in the day and so it sounds like you're saying a kid kills himself you're calling him a wimp or something and there may be people who have said that and it's a horrible thing to say and it's uh, obtuse is what it is because that's not the answer that's not the answer. It's not, the answer is not that kids are too soft or whatever. That that may also be a problem. We get into talking about the participation trophies and all that kids are, but that when we're talking about kids that dread going to school, that hate their lives, that kill themselves, I mean all these horrible things. It's not that they're soft. It's not that they're wimps or wusses. No wrong. I'll tell you what it is. That the, the, in the peer culture that exists in these schools is so intense now. It's so intense and so kind of oppressive and authoritative that kids become extremely dependent on the approval of their peers. Emotionally and psychologically dependent. That is not the, that's not a, the same as saying weak. This is just the environment they're in and it breeds that it demands it. And all kids, doesn't matter what century we're talking about are, are going to be very susceptible to that. It just so happens that kids back in the day weren't in an environment that was like that, or at least they weren't in that environment for so long. in such an intense environment where conformity was demanded and where you became so dependent on the acceptance of your peers. You know, in the 1800s, kids were not in that environment very often for nearly as long. Now they spend every, seemingly every waking moment in it. And so they become very dependent, which is no fault of their own. It's understandable. And what ends up happening, they, they find their identity. They find their identity in the approval of their peers to a much more severe and extreme degree than an adult does, you know, when he goes to work or something. Because we have other lies. And, and, and plenty of adults are, are like this. Become very dependent on the approval of their peers. And many of them grew up. This is how they've always been because they went to public school. But even in the adult world, you know, you go to work, fine. Um, but, y- you know, you, you kind of develop, your, you have more independence, you develop your own life. You can find friends and find a social life outside of your work if you don't really fit in there. And so you have that ability, right, that you don't have as a kid. So kids become completely dependent on, uh, and they they identify, they they find their identity in, in their peers. And when that is taken from them, when that approval is withdrawn or not given, they feel like they kind of lose their identity. They don't know who they are. And it's a devastating uh, experience, emotionally and psychologically. And they don't know how to handle it. Even adults don't know how to handle it. And we're adults. And these are kids we're talking about. And that's when tragedy can strike. Okay, Whether we're talking about suicide, school shootings, this is what feeds into a lot of that. And that's what we call socialization in public school. I'm not saying that if you send your kid to public school, they're going to kill themselves. They're going to become a school shooter. They're going to cut themselves. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. But I am saying that that sort of stuff does happen. And I'm just trying to figure out why. And I think this is why. Because of the peer culture, how intense it is, how demanding, and how kids inevitably, through no fault of their own, find their identity in this culture and become dependent on that. And then at that point, they're susceptible and vulnerable and they're kind of at the mercy of their peers. And that's a scary thing. Think about, you know, we joke about it sometimes, but think about, I can remember even when I was in middle school and from what I hear, it's no better now. It's only gotten worse, but middle school kids are vicious. They, I mean, these can be some of the most vicious people on the planet are middle school kids. Are like suburban middle school kids. Absolutely vicious. And this is when they first start to, I I think kids in middle school start to understand the power they wield over each other and they begin to kind of use it in a really savage and brutal way sometimes to elevate themselves over the other. And it can just have devastating effects. And it's a really sad and terrible thing. And again, it's got nothing to do with kids being weak or soft. Nothing at all. It has to do with the environment they're in. Okay? Now, the socialization that goes on in in, uh, homeschools, and I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying they're um, immune from this kind of thing, but... Uh, The idea anyway is that a child learns his social skills from his parents and he's oriented by adults, not other children. He matures and grows, is provided a safe environment to be himself. And despite common perceptions, I don't think homeschool kids are locked in a tower like Rapunzel or locked up, you know, locked up like Cinderella by, by the stepmother Forbidden from human contact I don't think that goes on They have friends They play sports They emerge into society Interact with people The only difference is how they learn to interact And they learn to interact from their parents Whereas kids in school learn to interact Based on how their peers Carry on in the hallways And at the lunch table Homeschool kids learn to interact Based on the guidance of their parents And so I think that that's a recipe to be socialized. And it's a better recipe for socialization. So that's just one thing to to keep in mind. And um, again, I'm not saying, you know, here's the strategy for kids. Everyone has to follow it. I'm just saying that if you are going to send your kids to public school, you should know what you're going to get out of it. And you should, we should have an idea of why we're sending them there. What are the good reasons? What are the bad reasons? This is a bad reason. And it's, it's, it behooves us to know that so that we understand that actually the socialization aspect is one of the the pitfalls of public school. So that's something that we should be, if you are going to send your kids, that's something you should be set on undoing. You should realize that the socialization that he's going to be involved in is not, for the most part, good. And so you're going to have to do what you can to undo it. And when he comes home to bring him back so that he orients himself based on on your influence, you're gonna have constantly bringing him back, um, reorienting him, recentering and refocusing him, so that he does, so that to the best of your ability, you can stop him from becoming too dependent on on his peers and on their approval. That's the the socialization he's going to be involved in. So you're going to be undoing it, not relying on it, and that's what scares me. That's what scares me the most is that a lot of parents see the socialization thing in public school as a positive somehow. And so they rely on it and they figure, well, okay, I'm sending my kids. They'll take care of the socialization. No, don't, don't let them take care of it. We have, no matter, how, no matter how our kids are being educated, we have to be the ones to take care of that. That's our job one way or another. All right, um, that's going to do it for me. Again, the book Unholy Trinity. Blocking the left's assault on life, marriage, and gender. You can get her on Amazon or um, in the bookstores now. And also, come follow me on Facebook if you aren't. Facebook.com slash Matt I'll talk to you guys next time. A cruce salus. Godspeed. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love.